0: Uh, It's the Lord Church, Uh, I'm here, this is my last Sunday here in Paraguay. I'm going to be flying out uh, about 7 p.m. on Tuesday, and getting in... Well, you did get to say the last word! Wednesday morning, so uh, I'll be there at taping to be messing with people and stirring up trouble. But I just want to, before I head out, say thank you, because obviously I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for all of you, and your donations, and your prayers, and just being an amazing church family who has allowed me to have this experience that has changed my life, and I won't ever forget a single moment of it. So I just want to say thank you. There you go. So Caleb is coming home. To those of you who are guests here today, you may not know who that fella is. He does bear a slight resemblance to me. That is my second eldest son, and he has been serving on the mission field in Paraguay uh, since September. And so we're excited about him coming home. Um, I do apologize that most of you are going to have to wait a couple of more weeks to see him. His father didn't do the logistics quite as wisely as he should have. I was thinking of my family and not of you. And so I brought him home on a Tuesday-Wednesday flight, and we leave Friday for our annual two-week vacation. So you're going to have to, those of you that just love Caleb and want to see him, you're going to either have to come out Wednesday night, go invade his small group on Thursday night, or wait two more weeks when I bring him back. But he is coming home, and uh, we covet your prayers for a safe journey on that last leg back, and I also say thank you on behalf of all three of the young people this past year that you and your donations sent into the mission field. As I said to you uh, coming up on a year ago when we took the sending our own offering, we do not know what God will do. And these are young people. They have much to learn. They have much to grow in. But if we do not invest when they are young, it's not going to happen. I was thinking, even in reference to the sermon as I turned that direction, I, just a little over 30 years ago, received my call into the ministry, submitted to that calling that would redirect the course of my life. I had a lot to learn. There's been a lot of developing. But it started at 12 when I said I would serve him, and at 16 when I said I would serve him the way he wanted me to. So we need to continue to be very intentional because these young people that are just kids, are not kids very long. I, I know that in one sense, it's heartwarming, and in another sense, it drives her batty. But every time I see Kiara, I am reminded. You see Kiara, and you see an educated, poised, quiet. You don't know it, but she's very bullheaded. thoughtful yeah thoughtful intentional woman but when i see her my mind still goes back to the little tiny girl that used to come in and hug my knee those years went by really fast and she now directs our children and our youth program She was, she hugged my knee. Like, that's as high as she could get. Now, she can't get much higher now either, but. (laughs) I'm sorry, Kiara, but you know me. She is laughing, by the way. Um, They go by very fast. They go by very fast. And so it's very important that that we be aware. Do not, let us not despise the days of their youth. Paul wrote to Timothy and says, don't let anyone despise your youth. Let us not be a church that despises the youth because the youth are not only our future. In many ways, they are currently our present. And so thank you. Thank you for believing in Taylor and Ryland Fulbert. Thank you for believing in Caleb. And like all of our giving... We're not really getting anything out of it, are we? It's not really a whole lot of return. I can't really show to you the return. And yet, as you give to God and as you give into his kingdom, he keeps good books. How many of you found that to be true? He keeps really, really good books. And so I add to my son's voice, thank you for enabling him to go. Thank you for enabling the Fulbears to go in their missions trips earlier this, this past year. And um, I think mom and I are ready for him to come home. Do pray for our home because we know we, we know that we sent a boy away. And now a man is coming home. A man that can't pay for anything yet though. <laughs> so he still lives in my house and he's still got an answer to me. But he's been living on his own traveling across the major metropolitan capital of Paraguay on his own, answering to no one, knowing what time he goes to bed or what time he gets up, is his and his alone, all of those things of growing up. And now he's got to come home like Jesus did at the age of 12 and humble himself and submit to the authority of his mother and his father and to grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for mom and I because we sent a boy away and we are tending to welcome home a boy, but he's not a boy. So pray for us and pray for his siblings because they have missed him dearly. Each in their own way have expressed it. And the first day, everybody's going to walk around the house smiling as the raucous sounds of the piano play throughout the halls. But then, the next day, we're going to have had enough. And we're going to want our quiet back. And we're going to want our peace back. And all of life will resume in all of its cacophony. So pray for the Beardsley family. We will, um, we will have some fun. We will have some fun. Speaking of life, life is Broken. Life is turmoil. Anybody found this to be true? Life is broken. and Life is turmoil. And yet we have to navigate this life. As I think back to the exuberance and the faith and the excitement that I had for life. I was fearful. At 16, I was odd. At 20, I was even odder. I was worried I couldn't get a wife who would have me. So I found another weirdo. (laughs) My father had a saying, every bent pot has a bent lid. You just got to find the right one. As long as you have the same pot and the same lid bent the same way, it works perfect. You like that one, Sophie? I pray you both are bent the same way. (laughs) Regina and I are largely bent the same way. But I I think back to that period, and, and I already had a call on my life. I already knew what I was supposed to do. I didn't know how I was going to do it. I didn't know what education. But my dad told me, he says, look, son, until the age of 30, you need to look at this as preparatory. It's not that you're not active. It's not that you're not doing anything, but you need to look at life as if you are preparing. And you need to give yourself a chance to develop your mind, and you need to give yourself a chance to develop your skills. You need to give yourself a chance. Let God develop you. And I did that. I married Regina when I was 23, she was actually already 22, I was about to be 24. And for two years it was the calm before the storm, and honestly it was. In those two years, the only stress I had was my father trying to make sure I knew how to work, so I had specific office hours I had to show up at the office stuff that I now look at him and go, that was the dumbest move you ever made, but okay. Yeah, I do. I remember a lot of things. They're not all good memories, dad. Just because I remember them doesn't mean they're good memories. But those two years, and then Regina comes to me and says, I'd, I'd like to have a baby, and we had talked that through, and we wanted to have babies. I wanted six, and she wanted two, and that wasn't going to work, and so we decided we would both lay down our demands, and we'd have them one at a time. And generally, unless God does something ornery, that's how that works. You have them one at a time. And so we did. We had them one at a time. So she comes to me, and she says, I'm ready to stop working. She had worked as a, as a home health care nurse. And uh, so she said, I'm ready to have, stop and have a baby. I said, okay, that's fine. And Vincent was born. And Vincent is such a great kid but he was a horrible baby. He was a punk, just straight up. Um, He loved his mommy. He tolerated me. And he wanted his mommy all the time just to sit there, just to know she was there. He didn't necessarily need to eat. He didn't necessarily need his diaper changed. He wasn't a sickly baby. He didn't have any of the issues that a lot of our other kids did. No, he just wanted his mommy. And when he didn't get his mommy... He did what babies do. He threw fits. And so, you know, life starts. And then before Caleb's even out of the womb, the United Pentecostal Church begins a graduate school. And the Lord says, I didn't get you the education. I already got you for it to be used for nothing. And so you're going back to school. And I, I didn't want to go back to school. I'm a little vain. Can I just be honest with you? I do. I I can be pretentious. I would rather end. (laughs) You can tell I got the peanut gallery going with me today, right? (laughs) Dad's going to help me preach this whole message. (laughs) I would rather end with a master's degree from Harvard. Than a Ph.D. from Temple. Now, those of you that get that, then you know how very snotty I am. Those of you that don't, just take my word for it. That's really snotty. It's not godly. It's not something to be emulated. But that's where I was at, and God's like, no, that's not my plan. That's not what I want for you. It's not what I need for you. And so Regina and I, move from the typical path of ministry, assisting my father, slowly moving towards becoming pastor, but at no rush, at no heavy pace. Being involved in district work, being a youth leader. Wednesday night, your young people were so kind to receive me back into the youth group, and I taught that youth class. I had fun. I don't know if they did, but it was very apparent to me that I'm not young anymore. And suddenly, we're off to the races. And beginning in 2000, we're having babies every two years. I'm the associate pastor of the church. I'm teaching a third to half time at a graduate school that's starting up. And I'm in a PhD program. By the way, I'm not sure I should have done all of that. That was crazy. But I did. And the years (laughs) chugged by. We didn't have a lot of money. If you're going to be in the sermon, I might as well add in. Dad was cheap. He was worried. He was worried that I would become profligate. And entitled, so he made sure that that didn't happen. (laughs) So we were frugal. We had one car, which means that there would literally be, the only time Regina would leave the house and our children would be for a couple, finally we figured out that she would leave for a couple of hours on Monday. And the rest of the time, only when she went to church, the rest of the time she was in that house raising those babies, and I wasn't always there. And I couldn't understand why she always had an attitude towards me about the fact that I wasn't always there. (laughs) I kind of get it now a little bit. But here we are, we're chugging along. We're having the babies. And then in the middle of all of that, my father gets the bright idea because of the winds of the Spirit and the move of the Spirit. And I got to trust that it was, but literally in the middle of all that, he comes down to my house and he says, it's time. I said, time for what? He said, it's time for you to become the pastor. (laughs) That's a really odd time, Dad. You know, there's these massive exams that I have called comprehensive exams, and then I got to write a dissertation. Wow. well, we did it. 2005, I become the pastor. I slave on for seven more years. I finished the PhD. The kids are growing. The kids are involved. Regina's getting out a little bit more. We went to two cars. Just in time to get used to it and add two more drivers. So now I have four drivers in two cars, which is worse than two drivers in one car. I've been glad Kayla's been in Paraguay because at least made logistics easier. Life chugs on. I'm doing this not because I'm trying to review my life for you, but I'm hoping that you also are kind of thinking in your mind about your own life, how that very quickly 16 has turned into 47. Now, I'm not depressed. I am not one of those people that's running away from my age. In fact, I like my age. I actually like some of my age. I, 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 I like where I'm at. People actually, at least around here, listen to me. I don't know about out there, but around here, y'all listen to me, and that's, that's kind of cool to be able to be able to speak, and somebody pauses and listens. You care what I think, and, and it's really cool that we don't, I never really did it much anyway, but um, in fact, I, I tried to avoid it at all, but we don't have to wipe any more bottoms. When I pack on Friday or Thursday for vacation, it is a much simpler proposition because we do not have to pack cases of diapers and cases of baby food and cases of wipes and the porta potty to be used multiple times as we make our way northward. <laughs> My children can actually hold it. So I, I'm not complaining about life. I, I am proud of my children, and I'm very happy that Regina and I can leave for a month and go minister in Africa, and my kids are on the house, and we come home. I don't know what it was like when we were gone, but once we get home, everything's where it's supposed to be. Everything's in order. This is cool. This is good. So I'm not running away from life, but yet I'm acutely aware that if from 16 to 47, is gone like that. I know how to do math, basic math. Add another 31 years onto what I'm at, and I'm sitting there. We can tell. And yet through every one of those years, there's ups and downs. Through every one of those years, there's challenges. Sitting and holding a baby boy because he cannot go to sleep. He's got reflux and then he's, his face is mottled and he responds. He's got asthma and staying up late in a night in a hospital and being the one who says something's wrong. Watching the medical staff of AI DuPont rush into that room and take that little boy and rush him. And by the time that night was over and Regina came back to relieve me for the day shift, he's in the pick you. Seas, roughness, challenges. Watching my beautiful wife with every baby have this thing show up called headaches, and it gets worse and worse. And worse. Being in the delivery room and watching the heart monitor drop every single time, we tried to turn the baby so that she could vaginally deliver Marcus and finding out he had the cord around him twice. And then Candace, discovering that I had a little girl that had a lot wrong. Not wrong with who she was as a person, but her body didn't function the way bodies are designed to function. Challenges, problems, scary times, good times, exciting times. Some of you at times, Sister Regina last night texted me a picture. I don't know where she got it or where it came from, but an old picture of us all together. And she says, Stephen, Regina, Vince, and Caleb, and the three crumb crunchers. I don't have a clue what she means by crumb crunchers, but that's what she said, obviously referring to Marcus and Candace and Cassandra. I remember sitting up here as you all received us as pastor, and my wife was pregnant with Cassandra, I believe. Is that right? And so we decided once to really dress up. I went out and bought a brand-new suit. And I said, you go buy a brand new dress. She said, what's the budget? I said, just go get a really nice, suit, uh, nice dress. I want you to look nice. So we, we, we decide that she's going to go Jackie O. <laughs> you know, Jackie had a sense of style, right? So she finds this gorgeous dress, but there's one problem. She comes to me crestfallen. She says, Steve, the problem is, is I need one size for the top and another size for the bottom. And they compared. It's probably the only time I've ever done this, dear. I probably should do it more. But I said, okay, buy two dresses. You can use the bottom and the top from two different dresses. She looked really cute that day, for those of you that remember. little pillbox hat on her head. Beautiful gown. It's good times. It's also rough times. I'd much rather just on the status quo. Really, honestly, I was happy just doing things the way my dad and mom had done them. But that's not what God allowed me to do. Then the opportunity comes, and I, I, on the one hand, I'm excited, and on the other hand, I'm fearful. I remember calling my dad and saying, Brother Bernard wants me to be dean. I don't even know how to process this. And I thought for sure he would tell me no, and I was hoping he would tell me no. On one hand, I'd have been disappointed, but on the other hand, I'd have been relieved. But you know my dad. He's a risk taker. So, hey, it was very quick. He's like, go for it. Then I hired Lil. Some of you liked it. Some of you didn't. But we've weathered it. Then things didn't go right at the deanship. You know, it's a lot of fun to fight with the general superintendent. <laughs> Not really. And you got to navigate that. And I, I enjoyed what I did, and yet now i got to leave it. Ups, downs. Ups, downs. Treated right, treated wrong. Things go according to plan. Things don't go according to plan. Is anybody here, can you see this in your own life? Can you you recognize? I'm telling you my story because I have a right to this story. But I hope that while I'm doing this, you're thinking of your own. Your life is not all good, nor is it all bad. There's good and bad. There's mistakes and right choices. There's problems and wins. Through it all. How are we to make it? How do we survive this? How do we do this? If you put up my title slide, this morning I want to talk to you about the anchor. I did not pick the songs. I did not know the songs, but you know the story of it as well with my soul. It is written by a man who's lost his family in a fire in Chicago. I think it was in Chicago. No, it's the other one. He's lost his family in a boat, and he's now headed to bury them. So he's on the water. My point is, is as he writes this, he's on the water. And his opening motif, if you go back and look at the lyrics of this song, his opening story is about the storms of the sea. And yet it is well with his soul. How? How can life be so full of good and bad? How can life be so full of wins and losses? How can life be so full of health and sickness? How do you weather it? Now, those of you that don't know the anchor, you don't understand how to use the anchor today, I'm begging you pay attention because I have weathered all of this and I am a success and I am more than a conqueror, not because I am powerful and not because I have enough money and not because I'm smart enough, but I have come to rely upon and use the anchor. I use the anchor. And again, I don't want to get into too much trouble here. I do not own a boat. I do not know a lot of things nautical. But I do know one thing. I know what an anchor is for. An anchor is the means for a boat on a moving surface to attach itself to something not moving. That's the point of an anchor. And there are times that you can put a boat on waters with no anchor because the waters are calm. Maybe there's a little bit of a current, but you can adjust whether by motor or even by an oar. Maybe a little bit of a sail. It's more than enough to handle life. It's more than enough to navigate where you're going. It's more than enough to get where you're trying to get to. But then there are other times when the winds come up and you do not control those winds. You do not see where they're coming from. You don't anticipate them. And the waves begin to crash and problems begin to happen. And I'm telling you, in that moment, you have got to use the anchor. Because everything under you is moving. But if you know how to tap into the anchor, everything can move around you, but you can hold steady. I hate when I get a sermon like this because the Lord spoke to me several days ago just what I have in front of you the anchor. So I have spent the last several days going, Lord, what is the anchor? And there are multiple ways to answer this, because what's the context and what's the application? So I'm like, God, what is the anchor? And what, what, what are you talking about? And, and you got to understand the way God is, is that he knows that I overthink things. And so God a lot of times puts thoughts into my mind. He leads me in a place. He gives me a scripture, and then he just lets it sit there. And he lets it kind of marinate, but he doesn't give me anything else until we get very close So I awoke, well, I went to bed last night, and I said, well, I have a title to my wife. I said, well, I have a title, but I don't have a clue where to go with it. She looks at me and says, oh, I'd be having a nervous breakdown. She said, but you've been preaching a long time. You'll be fine. Now, I wasn't flipping out. But I'm also going, God, what am I doing? And so in the middle of the night, I don't know why, I'm just going to tell you, my toe hurts. Something's wrong with my toe. I got, I don't know, it could be just a hangnail. I don't know. But it hurts like everything. So I wake up in the middle of the night, my toe's hurting. So while I'm fussing about my toe, not waking anybody up, but fussing about my toe, I'm like, okay, God, since I'm awake, what's his anchor bit? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And he didn't even heal my toe. What's the point of that? I'm like, come on, God, I'm a preacher. Heal my toe. It still hurts. So I finally fall back asleep, and I wake up this morning, and I'm moving around, and like he typically does, it starts to come to me. You cannot make it in this life, let alone the life to come. If you do not become very, very connected to the anchor. Since 16 to 47, I can with honesty say I have fallen many times, but I have gotten up every single time. I have been a Christian. The only way you can do that because life throws you curveballs. Life causes things to go bad. Sometimes life does a one-two punch, makes it really good and then yanks it away. You cannot get a hold of life. You have to get a hold of the anchor. Life is the sea. It will do what it will do. But the anchor... Oh, there's an old song. It's a really old song because it was an old song whenever I was a kid. But it's an old song and it's still true. The anchor holds. The anchor holds. I can tell you today, not just because I make my livelihood from it. Because, buddy, I'm making moves right now that may cost me my livelihood. I'm telling you right now, the anchor has always held. Good times, it's held. Bad times, it's held. Sickness, it's held. Wellness, it's held. If you become attached to that anchor, you know that anchor. It can't be just mental, it's everything of your being is attached to this anchor. I don't know the specifics, but I do know that every boat, somewhere tied to its main structure, it's not tied to a rail. It's not tied to, the, <laughs> to some porthole on the side that can rip out. No, it's tied in. It is a part of the very nature. It falls out a hole on the side of that boat, and it's tied to the very core of that vessel. you got to tie yourself to this anchor. you got to go up or down on this anchor. you got to live or breathe on this anchor. Everything rides on this anchor. You cannot have plan B. There is no way to make provision that will substitute for the anchor. Because when you are in the worst spots, you're going to have to count on that the anchor will actually hold you. So what is the anchor? Allow me, and I'm very aware of the time. I will not be long. I have a number of scriptures, and they're going to tell my answer to you. I begin with a story. Luke chapter 2, verse 25, we're told that there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous. He was devout. And he was eagerly awaiting or waiting for the Messiah to come and to rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day the Spirit led him to the temple and he is the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, The deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. This is not what you say at a baby dedication. This is not what you say. Yet this old man who knew God and had been waiting for the permission to die but could not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah because the Spirit of God had promised him he would see the Lord's Messiah. Sees the baby, proclaims that he has now seen the salvation of Israel, and we know the salvation of the world. But then he turns to Mary and says, this baby is not just going to bring you good times. This baby is going to bring you bad times. It's almost like he could see forward to the moment as she knelt there or stood there broken like only a mother can feel as she watched her naked adult son impaled upon a stick. Lofted between heaven and earth and watched him die. You talk about being pierced. I'm not a mama, but what I know of my wife, that would, it would destroy her. You see, this is not the first time that they've heard these odd statements about Jesus, though. Joseph, as you already know, had to have an angel come and tell him to even marry Mary. And in the midst of that vision from an angel, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, The angel told Joseph, Ye will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this, the birth of Jesus, occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give forth or give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So Joseph and Mary are standing there listening to Simeon call what they already knew was true. You must call his name Jesus for he will save his people. Now, Lord, you can take me because now I have seen the salvation of Israel. But in the same mouth, this God with us, this God present with us, is going to pierce you through with pain, Mary. It's not a promise of all will be good just because he's God with us. And then as you read the story of Jesus, he moves forward and he creates relationships and he calls disciples and he walks with them and then he tells them, I'm leaving. His last words before he ascends into the clouds are Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20, the second part. Be sure of this, he says. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How is this possible? Because he's leaving. He's leaving. He literally ascends into the clouds. None of us created this Jesus. None of us called this Jesus into existence. None of us even know how God became with us. It baffles theological minds. It stretches our brains. We don't know how the infinite can become finite. He says, I will be with you always. Be certain of this. I will be with you always even to the end of the age. John chapter 14, Jesus tells his disciples, they don't fully understand it, but he tells his disciples, I'm going to ask the Father and he's going to give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you. Now, and later, will be in you. No, I will not abandon you. I will come to you. What is the anchor of this life? Some of you are tempted to say it's God. And you're right. But that's not specific enough. There is only one God. But it's not just God. Some of you may be tempted to say it's Jesus. And you're right. Because in Jesus dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. When you see him, he said, you have seen the Father. But that's still not precise enough. The anchor in this world... For this season is why you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The anchor for this season is why we are a Spirit-filled church. The anchor for this season, we're not here to tell you you're on the outside until you get on the inside. We're not here to make you feel bad. We're not here to tell you God doesn't love you. We're here to tell you that the only way you're going to make it through the ups and the downs, between the sickness and the health, the problems and the joys, is if you have him living inside of you. It's got to be tied to the very inner core of who you are. It can't be externally attached. It can't be cosmetic. It can't be out somewhere that can be ripped apart. No, it's got to go down into the inside of you. And in other words, if the anchor doesn't hold, you don't hold. It is so indelibly printed into you that if it breaks, it breaks you. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. You don't need the Holy Spirit to be a member here. I don't like membership requirements because membership requirements turn this into a club, this is a relationship. But you need the Holy Ghost. You need to pursue it. You need to seek it. You need to ask for it. Because I'm telling you, 31 years after my call, the only way I've made it through, everything I've made it through, is because every step of the way, there was an anchor attached to the inner of my being. And no matter how bad the waves were going, and no matter how much it moved up and down, that anchor anchor was attached to me and the anchor doesn't move that's why you want his spirit that's why you want to seek it that's why you want to ask for it see god is a spirit and it's the spirit of god that indwelt mary in the birth of jesus But you're not dealing with the spirit of God that moved upon the face of the waters and created the world. And you're not dealing with the incarnation. He went away. Because by becoming incarnate, he could only be in one place at one time. And God doesn't want to just be peripherally connected to you. He doesn't just want to be next to you. He doesn't want to just touch you. And he does all of that. But he wants to live inside of you. He wants to be your God. It does not exclude me from having my God. But he wants to build this in such a way that he is your God. No matter who fails you. No matter how it works or doesn't work. No matter how you're sick or you're dying or you're well and you're succeeding. It doesn't matter what you're facing. You are so intimately connected to him. You know him so well. He's in the inside of you that there's nothing that can rip it out of you. And if it can, it will destroy you. But I'm here today to tell you 31 years, it's tried to rip. I've had the church inside and out yank on that anchor. But as long as I held on to the spirit of the almighty God living inside of me, I could be godly. I could be righteous. I could make the right choices. I could wear Weather sickness, I can weather fear because that anchor holds. That's why, when they become convicted on the day of Pentecost, Peter replies to them and says, "Each of you needs to repent. You need to ask God to forgive you of your sins, and you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of those sins." And there's water, and we're ready to do that. If you've not gone down in the name of Jesus, or if you're not for certain you went down in the name of Jesus, for there is salvation in no other name. But he said, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because this promise, this promise of intimacy, this promise of real relationship, this promise of him attached to you in such a way That no matter how the winds and waves buffet you, you are able to weather it because he holds. So you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because this promise is to you, it's to your children, to those that are far away, all who've been called by the Lord our God many of you know Sister Joyce, and I'm big on attribution, so Joyce, I'm sorry. I know you don't like this, but this is part of my ethics and my integrity. Sister Joyce does a number of things for us, as you've already heard. She's working as my executive assistant, Sister Leela's as well. But she likes working with graphics, too. So a lot of the graphics, if you like them, she did them. If you don't, I did them. (laughs) Not really. She did them. Um, So I... All I had—I've never done this. In fact, Joyce is quite aggravated with me because she does slides for almost everybody else, and and I'm like, I don't, I don't let her touch my sermons. And it's not because I don't trust her, and it's not—it's just God doesn't give me enough ahead of time. Well, I had a title. I wasn't even sure, but I thought, well, I'm sorry, Joyce. This sounds horrible. Forgive me, but. I thought, well, at least she will have fun making a slide, even if I change the sermon. At least she made a slide, and then she'll know I tried. So I sent her the title. I said, I need a slide called The Anchor. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what, I don't know what verse to preach. I don't, I don't have anything. I just know The Anchor. I don't even know for sure what he wants me to say about The Anchor. So she sends me some pretty graphics. I pick which one. She said, if you'll send me the scriptures." I'll take care of it all for you. You won't have to think about it. (laughs) And trust me, I wanted to send her scriptures, but I didn't have any. I didn't know where I was going, so I wrote her back. I said, forthcoming. (laughs) Maybe if I talk King Jamesy, it'll get it moving. So we all know the Lord speaks in King James, right? So... (laughs) So I said, forthcoming. And, and so I get here this morning, and here she comes, and she's like, do you need me to put in your scriptures? I'm like, Joyce, I, I'm, still, I'm still thinking. I don't, I don't have anything. So I sit down in front of Proclaim, and she's put in the title slide for me. She's put in a content slide in case I want to put any thoughts up, and, and she's put a verse slide. And I don't know why, probably because she's Eager Beaver, but she's got a verse in there. And I read it. I'm like, oh, look at you. Because it's got the word anchor in it. So I I don't know. Maybe she knows her Bible well. Maybe she used Google. Maybe she used something else. I don't know. I use Google all the time. You want to know how to find scriptures nowadays? Forget a Bible software program. Just use Google. Now, if, that, if that's carnal, it's still Bible. Trust me. It came first through human voices. Then it went down on parchment. Then it went, or excuse me, on scrolls. Then it went down on codices. Then it came to printing presses. And now it's on our iPhones and our tablets. Come on, people. The word of God cannot be destroyed. Stop having a flip out about what the medium is, it's God. Let me just tell you, it's God, and it's getting to you. Whatever format it's coming, it's getting to you. I don't know how she found it. Well, you know me. I'm like, oh, well, what's the context of this? So I go back and I read. And so today, maybe it was dumb luck. Maybe it was the Spirit of God. We don't even have figured it out. But I end this sermon with the passage that she put one verse of in the middle of it. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 16 says Now, when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath. So that those who received the promise, and I know that the specific context here is referring to Abraham's promise, but this morning I want you to understand that he also made another promise. He said, I will never leave you. I will be with you always. If the waves are jerking you a mile high or dropping you a mile low, I want to be with you. It looked like he was leaving them, but he said, no, actually all that's happening is, is I'm changing form. Instead of being humanly manifested, now I'm going to be spiritually manifested. You're going to be my human manifestation so I can live in you. He made a promise of this. Peter said, this is a promise. It's a promise for you. And it's a promise for your children. It's a promise for everyone, no matter how far away they are. It's a promise. Today I'm here to tell you the only way you make it through this life is the anchor. And the anchor is the presence, the spirit, the incarnation of God himself in you. With God in us, nothing can stop. I did not say we would not have troubles. I did not say we would not have sickness. I said nothing can stop us. So that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. There's another passage I have not read to you, but it is his good pleasure to give the Holy Spirit to them who ask him. Today you can have his spirit. You can get the anchor attached to you if you will just ask him. God does not lie. Therefore, We who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. Oh, I got my own fears now. I forgot to tell you. I now have five kids. Now, I'm terrified, A, they won't find anybody to marry, and B, they'll marry the wrong person. Because I know how important that decision is. And I know how much I love my kids. And if I get a dingbatty daughter-in-law or a nasty son-in-law, it going to mess with my family. And you know me, I don't deal well when somebody messes with my family. So it going to be all jacked up. The anchor still holds. March 1st, hey, if there's ever an annual business meeting you want to show up at, I'm telling you, it's this one. You probably will not ever see another annual business meeting like it. Never, it's going to be a long time until you hear a pastor tell you that he spent $200,000 out of your reserve. I'm telling you, you want to show up March 1st. Just show up for the show. <laughs> I'm telling you, you don't want to miss it. The anchor will hold through the annual business meeting. The anchor will hold through Sickness. The anchor will hold through my pretentiousness. The anchor will hold through my pride. The anchor will hold through my brokenness. It will hold through all the wrong that's been done to me and all the wrong that I do. This anchor will hold. I have hope. I don't have hope in the seas of this life. I don't have hope in my abilities. I don't have hope in knowing what I'm doing. But I have hope in this anchor. You see, I am able to flee to him for refuge. I'm able to flee to him. The seas are moving, but he holds me steady. The seas are bucking and snorting, but he holds me steady. I am able to flee to him for refuge with a great confidence that we hold hope that lies before us. Who is it? That hope, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. And it leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. It takes us from the storm, even as it's still raging around us, right into the presence of the Shekinah glory of God. Even as all of life is breaking loose, even as all hell breaks loose upon us, we are able through the anchor to move through the curtain and into the presence of an almighty God that says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will not you in you I will be with you always even to the end of the world would you stand and would you begin to praise the God I don't care what you're going through that God is here today for you and he wants to walk with you through whatever you're going through if you've got his spirit, break forth in praise. If you don't, throw your hands in the air and say, Lake up to me, Jesus. I want to be anchored. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There is no God like our God. He will hold us steady. He will be faithful. This is why you do not have to be fearful. This is why you can have peace that passeth all understanding, that keeps your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is why you can have joy unspeakable and full of glory because it's not residing on this life. It's about the anchor. And I'm here today to tell you, the scriptures tell you it holds and 31 years it's held. He is steady. He will not fail you. He will not abandon you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. This altar's open. Would you come? Would you make yourself available? Church, be sensitive. If there's someone praying and you feel to pray with them, please do so. Let God minister and encourage you today. Whatever you're facing or you're afraid of facing, attach to the anchor.